When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Friday. Lovely, lovely start to the day and to the bank holiday weekend. And yes, another bank holiday weekend. How welcome is that? Any nice plans? Any recommendations? What have we got for you today? Well, you know how the Leaving Cert is very points-driven. It's a rat race. Well, what if there was more taken into consideration than just your grades in the exam? We'll flesh that out in around half an hour. Why prison officers fear sooner or later there's going to be serious violence breaking out at the Midlands prison. And if you're involved in a charity, a small charity, more red tape on the way, I'll tell you exactly what's in store at around half ten. When you call today, 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp, 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Oh yes, and by the way, more on that pensioner who received a €3,200 hike in her electricity bill. This is somebody living on their own. The previous bill, 123 quid. The next bill, €3,385. We'll explain how that happened and if it's going to stand or indeed if we can maybe get some justice for that lady. Anyway, what's on the front pages today? Well... This is a story that's reminiscent of the Celtic Tiger. Mortgages were now drawing down, on average, €263,000 for the average house in this country. And we haven't seen mortgages of that size drawn down since 2008, which, if you recall, was the very peak of the Celtic Tiger, just before the crash. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. You could say, well, that means house prices haven't really changed over 14 years. We're back where we were. Most other things have gone up in price in that time. However, the mortgage rules have changed, so it was far easier 14 years ago to get your hands on €263,000. These days, much more challenging. Maybe for good reason too. People were getting way in over their heads in debt. But if you need to get on the housing ladder, it's more and more difficult now. Anyway, that's the main story on the Irish Independent, on the Irish Times. Ukraine, once again, telling us how the United States is going to raise $33 billion in military spending for Ukraine alone. Joe Biden, the president, will ask Congress to support his plans to send all of that military aid into Europe, which the Kremlin is not too happy about, and the Kremlin ratcheting up their effort this week by turning off the gas to Poland and to Bulgaria. Now here at home, the turf wars, as they've become known, the Irish examiner tells us, it will be weeks before you find out for definite what the new revised turf regulations will say. Now, backbench government TDs are adamant there shall not be the original ban from September that was proposed by Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. But what exactly will replace it? Will they be scrapping the villages of 500 people or less mandate? Or will they be 
looking at some other options. For instance, there's a report in the Irish Examiner saying if you sell individually yourself, you're not part of a company, and you don't sell more than a certain amount, then you won't be prosecuted. But this, this is just speculation and guessing and all hot air, really, until you see in black and white on paper where you stand legally. But it'll be weeks, says the Irish Examiner. Now, come this winter, because of the actions of Russia, because of the uncertainty around gas supplies, experts say it'll be an increase of 300 to 400 euro a year for the average family on top of what has already happened. This is just because of that one act this week to turn off the gas to Poland and to Bulgaria. Energy scientist Dr Paul Dean of University College Cork, he's quoted in the Irish Independent, who uh, says 35 price rises have been announced in the last year from all of the different operators in Ireland. 35 of them. Well, many of those were before Ukraine. It's a convenient excuse. I mean, it is valid to some extent. Of course, Russia's actions have put uh, pressure on prices, but they were already going up long before the conflict started. But anyway, this is the new prediction. This winter, average bills up by a further three to four hundred euro. Oh, joy. Well, at least we're fighting back. We are. Boy, we are making our presence felt in Moscow because it says in the Independent, they have run out of Guinness. Yes, if you're looking for a pint of the black stuff in and around the Kremlin, you shall not find it because Diageo, which makes Guinness, along with Harp and Smithwick's, and Kilkenny and loads of other drinks and spirits. It has stopped exporting to Russia and to Ukraine and they've now run out. The taps are dry in Moscow. I'm sure Vladimir is crying into his empty pint. Back here at home, nice story reported in the Leash Nationalist. A four-year-old will be the official person to open the new Lidl import leash. Which, by the way, happens on Thursday of next week. This is the brand spanking new store. They've spent €10 million redeveloping it. It will employ 30 people. That's 10 more than the previous store. And Aina O'Connor who, along with his grandmother, went to the site every day to watch the building progress and was fascinated by how it was constructed over the six months, he has agreed to do little the honour of cutting the ribbon. So that's next Thursday. A little bit of good news as well for ladies who are struggling with the change with the menopause. It has been recognised now by the HSE that menopause clinics should be established in different parts of the country. And fair play to a lot of doctors, including Deirdre Ford from Athlone, who has advocated on this programme and on others that menopause needs a policy, needs special resourcing and needs the awareness that before did not exist inside of medicine and outside. So, in addition to those six menopause clinics, there shall be four postnatal hubs. There will be more services for people who suffer endometriosis. 
and the HSE is ploughing two and a half million quid into a women's health action plan. So says the Irish Times this morning. About time too. Now, if you're involved in a charity, sit down, get comfortable, because I suspect your blood pressure is going to go up a bit. Now, with all the best intentions, the government is working on the General Scheme of Charities Bill. And, of course, the intentions are laudable. They do not want you, as a member of the public, having your trust, having your generosity abused. You need to know the money that you contribute goes where it's intended. And so, at the moment, charities must be audited. If, if they have assets on their balance sheet of more than 4.4 million euro, or if their turnover is more than 8.8 million euro, or if they employ more than 50 people. In other words, big charities. But what Minister Heather Humphreys is proposing is to bring down the threshold whereby charities must be audited to a balance sheet of no less than €10,000 with a gross income that does not exceed, or does or exceeds rather, €10,000 or indeed employs anybody. So a small charity, the very smallest, are going to probably have in or around €10,000 on their balance sheet. And they will now have to get the audit. They'll have to go through all the paperwork. They'll have the cost. And this is a problem of scale, really. It's not going to make that much difference to a charity that has a million euro in turnover. But it is going to make an impact on the very small, local, individual groups. And maybe there's a better balance to be struck here because obviously the public has to be protected and you want the money going to a good cause. But is she perhaps cutting a little bit low on this? Anyway, that's in the Irish Times. If you're involved in a charity, you wish to read more. James Corden has quit the Late Late Show. No, not that Late Late Show. Tubbs is still very much safe. But in the US, where he has made his name for the last eight years, he has announced one more season. And then he's moving back to the UK to spend more time with his family. And he's turning away a lot of money to do this. He became quite emotional when making the announcement on the programme last night. So if you're wondering, who James Corbyn? Carpool, karaoke, you've probably seen the videos. He had Adele in the car and Celine Dion and many others. Great fun. And in fairness to the guy, he is very talented and he will not be without work for long. And the last uh, little pick of the brain, if I can, today. What is the longest you have ever seen a dog live? Personally, because we all hear, oh, the neighbour down the road once had a dog who lived to be 102. This is first-hand question. So a new study reported on in The Examiner today says uh, Jack Russell Terriers have the longest life expectancy of any dogs in Ireland and the UK. The average life expectancy for a dog of any breed is 11.2 years. 
but a Jack Russell on average lives 12.7 years. Now, many dogs live far beyond that. So, personally speaking, what is the longest lived dog that you know of? 083 30 10 103. Just get involved. Nothing to be won, but a little bit of fun. Or actually, maybe there is something to be won because caller of the week, yes, indeed, caller of the week shall be winning a very nice prize. An overnight stay for you and a friend at the Shearwater Hotel in Ballinasloe. Compliments of CorcoranHearing.ie and you'll find Colm on his team uh, and his team on the Arden Road in Tullamore. But I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. Press the right button, Will. Good morning to Karen in Roscommon. So, unfortunately, last year, her little Jack Russell had to be put asleep. But she was a rescue and she was in her 24th year. That is a great age. And don't they just make such an impression on you over 24 years, Karen? So, my sympathies, genuinely, that is a bereavement. Will, we had a King Charles who, unfortunately, we had to put to sleep last year, was almost 16 years old. Will, I have a Jack Russell Terrier crossbreed, 14 years. <laughs> and I don't know what the average is for them, but clearly there's plenty of gas still in the tank. Good to hear. 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Well, lots of messages coming in about dogs. And the question is not necessarily one that you've heard on hearsay, one that, oh, 20 years ago, Mrs. So-and-so down the road had a dog. You personally, what is the longest-lived dog that you can point to? 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Next, why prison officers are genuinely fearful that there could soon be an outbreak of violence in the Midlands prison. What's putting the pressure on? In Tyrrell's Pass at the moment, the temperature is 10 degrees. Midlands Today with Tullamore Motors. The all-new Renault Zoe. Live the easy electric life. TullamoreMotors.ie Destiny's Child on a Friday morning here on Midlands 103 and huge reaction to the question, how uh, long lived was the oldest dog you ever knew? <laughs> Amazing what manages to get us talking. So, Will, I had a Cairn Terrier who lived to be 20 years. It was my parents' dog, and I put a dog coat on her uh, named Goldie for the last two years. And she had arthritis, God love her, but she lived to be 20. The average, the reason we're talking about this, the average uh, Jack Russell, who is the longest-lived breed, by the way, the average Jack Russell, 12.7 years. But many dogs live far in excess of that. And when you think about it, the average lived human, 80, give or take, you don't hear of exceptional people living to 140 or 150. What is it that separates some dogs from others to give them this enormous longevity? Anyway, I think we'll come back to that a little later. Now, still on the agenda today. At last, it looks like CAO points could be awarded for skills other than academic achievements. We'll be looking at what might be considered in around 15 minutes. Now, in many of Ireland's prisons, space is at a premium. 
and in the Midlands prison in particular, overcrowding has long been a concern of the Prison Officers Association. However, there's now a concern that sooner or later this situation will lead to violence. So let's find out exactly what the concern is. Tony Power is president of the uh, Prison Officers Association. Indeed, he's a prison officer at the Midlands Prison. Tony, good morning. Good morning, Will. We'd all have some sense of claustrophobia, perhaps when there are too many people around, but uh, when you're dealing in a security situation, what are the hazards of having too many people? Well, we know from past experience um, what happens in an overcrowded environment. Um, there's an increase in violence because there's competition for resources and it creates massive issues for, for prison officers. Um, prisoners and, and staff are more at risk um, and uh, especially in regard to Im- uh, intimidation and violence in an overcrowded prison. You know, um, in an environment like this, the bully tribes and weaker prisoners become more vulnerable. So what resources are most scarce? Um, like in the Midlands in particular, we have some landings that are designed to hold 38 prisoners, and we're seeing numbers uh, in excess of 63, 64, 65 on these landings. Um, on some of our protection landings, um, some of our prisoners are locked up for 23 hours a day, and they're sharing cells, um, they're sharing cells with somebody that possibly don't know. And that can, uh, that can lead to tensions as well, uh, which increases the chance of, tr- of trouble. So what's the background to the overcrowding? Well, um, the background really is uh, it's the opening of, of extra courts. Um, after the pandemic, they've opened extra courts to try and get rid of the backlog, which uh, is putting more people in, into custody. And without, uh, without any increase in prison spaces, now, are we talking about a solution that involves bricks and mortar and people will remember the failed effort to create Thornton Hall some years ago? Yeah. Um, and currently we have about 4,400 spaces in the country. Um, we believe that probably we need somewhere in the region of 600 more spaces. Um, the, minister gave a, the minister gave an undertaking on Wednesday at our conference and we welcome the undertaking she gave that uh, they were going to reopen the training unit, which has been closed since uh, 2016. That would give us probably somewhere in the region of 90 to 100 spaces. Um, and uh, Limerick has a new Limerick has a new wing and a new female prison being built. Well, look, it's probably going to be the back end of the year before that's open. So, I mean, the problem, I don't know if there's any quick fix to the problem, if you know what I mean. Mm. In the meantime, are there temporary solutions in the form of manpower or otherwise that would ease the pressure? Um, in fairness, the prison service are continuing to recruit, but unfortunately, it's probably only meeting uh, the numbers that are that are retiring at the moment. We've had, over the last uh, three years, probably over 300 staff have retired. And at the moment, um, due to COVID, they're still only bringing in classes of 18 when we should, we reckon they should be bringing in classes of probably up to 30 as quick as they possibly can to try and just meet the demand. <coughs> Excuse me. A listener asks a good question. Because of COVID, and at least in the early stages of lockdown, the decline in crime rates, has there been any pr- uh, easing in the pressure 
of the numbers incarcerated? Um, during during uh, the, the height of COVID, the, there was efforts made to reduce the numbers in prison. So um, a lot of prisoners, well, I won't say a lot, but a number of prisoners would have got a temporary release and they would have been on the community return scheme. But now that COVID is finished and the courts are back reopened fully, that's uh, it's it's just creating the problem now of more people coming into custody, therefore causing more overcrowding. Tony, thank you very much for highlighting the issue. Um, we will watch with interest to see what the developments are from the Department of Justice. Thanks for taking our call. Absolutely no problem. Have a good day. Tony Power is president of the Prison Officers Association. He's based in Portlaoise. Now, oh, this is fantastic. Kev, good morning, sir. Kev is on his way with a brand new, well, new to us caravan on its maiden voyage from Clonmelon to the Noor Valley Caravan Park in Kilkenny. Never been caravanning before, he says. So the kids are super excited. And I am super nervous. Yes, don't blame you. <laughs> have you ever watched those Top Gear episodes when they went caravanning? I'm sure you won't have the same problems. But he says temperatures of minus two degrees last night. They really haven't helped the nerves. So any tips would be most welcome. By the way, we had a beautiful border collie named Molly, whom we got as a pup two years before my eldest son was born. And sadly, she passed away two years ago at the age of 12. So a slightly better than average lifespan, he says. Larger dogs don't tend to live as long, do they? Or am I wrong? Again, maybe you've seen one of the larger breeds or even the mid-sized breeds hitting the big 2-0. We'll be back to that. And indeed, if you have do's and don'ts, a list of essentials for Kev... 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. And by the way, we have still the chance for you to become caller of the day. And you could be winning two nights to stay with you and somebody special at the Shearwater Hotel in Ballinasloe. Thanks to Corcoran Hearing. Because hearing loss isn't a comfortable experience when you're straining to hear your favourite TV show. Conversations with friends and family could all be indicators it's time to get a hearing test. So CorcoranHearing.ie is your first port of call. It's a quarter to ten. Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. The Renault Capture. Capture life. P.O.Brien.ie Do you remember learning off the times tables again and again and again? Rote learning. Although in fairness to the time, times tables can be a useful life skill. Um, but rote learning was very much out of fashion some years ago and the feeling was it's time to reform the Leaving Cert and to bring in a wider variety of subjects. And then we moved on to the next reform, which was, well, how shall we assess? Will it be that terminal exam or will it be over continuous assessment or maybe a bit of both? And now the latest reform, which has been flagged by the Minister for Education, is to award CAO points for a wider variety of skills, not just the pure academics. It's easy to get lost as a parent in all of the reform. So let's try and condense this down. Betty McLaughlin is a guidance counsellor at Colosh to Wirra CBS in Mullingar. Betty, good morning. 
Betty, yep. what is the minister getting at here? Well, uh, she's looking at, I suppose, taking the heat out of the leave and cert, which is, is a good thing, that everything wouldn't be depending again, hinging on that final exam at the end of sixth year or fifth year, as the case may be, if you don't do TY, if you're fifth year or your sixth year in school. Um, what she's looking at is, say you take part in a show that maybe you could get points for having your skill, you know, a musical, for example, or say you do pr- more project work, she's looking at introducing that, which isn't a bad thing, um, and more oral and that kind of stuff, really. Anything that, even if you were uh, excelled in the school team, that maybe there could be some sort of a criteria there that you could be awarded a certain amount of points. Now, there'd be a lot of work in that. There'd be a lot of monitoring needed. Mm. Uh, they are saying, like, in relation to the school projects, that, um, well, of course, you could. They are being done. They are ongoing. There's a lot of subjects in Leaving Cert have those. But certainly, uh, it's good to see as well that she is saying they will be monitored or moderated by the State Exam Commission, even though I would believe t- teachers are well able to correct their own there is that cultural kind of a difficulty, uh, you know, in Ireland with teachers having issues around that. And I suppose the Leaving Cert is renowned for its accountability and transparency in relation to how things are corrected, how they're done, the, a robust appeal system and so on. So I say, you know, and the unions, of course, as well, if, they, if there isn't some sort of moderation system in there, to, you know, uh, by the state exam to keep it... Um, to keep it objective, like uh, I would say that definitely um, it wouldn't work. Yes, but whatever about having moderation in items that are part of the curriculum, if we start to bring in extracurricular activities, and and let's pause for a moment because there, there is a rationale for that, but how do you ensure fairness when, let's say, somebody is naturally outgoing and happy to take part in the school play, and somebody else is more introverted and they're not doing that. Yeah, it's shy and things. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, it is it is difficult until we see the, it in black and white and what the real proposals there are, how it could even be integrated, you know. Unless the CAO would adopt a system that if you were going for a point, like the CAO have a part to play here too, and the third level. Now, I understand Minister Harris is going to be involved. So even if it was used, instead of the leaving cert, if it was used in, in a way for entry into college, you know, where you'd have to do a performance or where you have to show skills, uh, you know, photography or whatever you want to do, if it was used in that way, that it would make you a suitable candidate for a course, I could see a great rationale for it, you know, um, because then you wouldn't need to do it unless it was an area that you were interested in. But yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's only at the beginning stages, and I'd say there's a long road ahead before... Mm would be very clear as to what the criteria was and making sure that it's inclusive, that it's not penalising someone who isn't musical, for example, if you see somebody get yeah. points for being, you know. Uh, and musical. that is the balancing argument, of course, that not everybody is academically Absolutely. driven or, or indeed they may or have, a, they can excel in more manual or more creative skills. But again, do we not have enough subjects on the curriculum, whether it's used to be metalwork and woodwork, I'm not sure what it's called these days, but we had those other vocational subjects, as they were, uh, to capture the skills of people who perhaps weren't as gifted at maths. Yeah, and music. Yeah, And I mean, I must say, like, the projects are, the kids do like them, and it is a great relief to them going into an exam knowing they're 20% already done. You know, I think that that is something that definitely is, 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 is very clear how that would work, you know. 
in the in the different subjects. But I don't. I'm not sure about how the musicals and all that. How that will pan out, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see with that, really. So, just for parents to take away uh, clarity, a lot of discussion about reform is just that. It's discussion. So there's nothing firm set in stone on this yet and probably won't be for a long time. I would say definitely not when it comes to those extra skills and how they would be awarded. These things take a lot of time and even anything that's put out first by the department and rightly so, it's piloted, you know, for two years before it's even and then it's reviewed. So it is it is a while down the road. I wouldn't worry if I was currently in senior cycle or even junior cycle at Mm. this stage. Maybe still inside the womb. Who knows? Betty, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Will. Bye-bye. Betty McLaughlin is the guidance counsellor at Colostawira CBS in Mullingar. The latest news is coming next at 10. And still to come today, small charities with as little as €10,000 on the balance sheet will have to be audited. Is that right? Good morning. An elderly lady living alone here in the Midlands has been hit with an energy bill, an electricity bill, for nearly €3,500. Her last bill was 123 quid. This next one, 3500 So how on earth did that happen? Well, we'll be trying to help her after 11. And should small charities be audited? Small ones, ones running on as little as €10,000 per year. Because on one hand, audits can be expensive and time-consuming, lots of red tape. On the other, how do you catch bad charities if you don't check up on them? Plus, protect your clothes while you'll see more moths this year. Now, some great stories about doggies. Uh, Will, my corgi... Corgi was 18 years old when he died. 18. Rusty was a terrier who belonged to Maraid. Rusty was 19. Unfortunately, died of cancer some years ago. Our dog Tiny was 14 years old when she passed away. At the moment, we have Rex, who is 13, says Catherine. Will we had cattle dogs who lived to 14 or 15 years... Dogs are a bit like humans. Some live to be very old, others not so. Yeah, but you see a vast range and variety in the lifespan of dogs that generally you don't see in humans. Jane from Muddy Paws Canine Span Athlone. Morning, Jane. You used to groom a 21-year-old collie. Wow. And you had a boxer who lived to 15. And at the moment you're grooming several dogs, mainly crossbreeds, who are between 17 and 20 years old. Had some great messages on WhatsApp as well today. Uh, Will, I had a dog, or my aunt did rather, says Margaret Connell in Edenderry. She was a lassie dog and she was 20. Different caller says, Linda, my border collie Gypsy was heading for 16 and unfortunately I had to put her asleep. We now have a three-year-old Jack Russell that I don't like. I don't relish the thoughts of having him for the next ten years. <laughs> Not the dog's fault, I just don't like small dogs, she says. Why did you get a small dog then, Linda? Oh, boy. Now, the reason we're talking about this, you research suggests the average, average for a pet dog 
is a life expectancy of 11.2 years. And the longest lived breed is a Jack Russell, uh, which would be 12.7 years. So what explains why some dogs apparently get into their 20s and others don't? Des Groom is a vet with Groom Vets in Kildare. Morning, Des. Hi, Will. Pleasure to speak to you again. And to you. Uh, why the huge variety of ages and lifespans in the animal kingdom? Okay, so um, specifically in the doggy kingdom, two, two reasons for it. Very similar to humans. Genetics play a huge part in it. Some breeds live longer than others, no doubt about that. So that's the first thing. And second, se- secondly, it's, it's just as with people, it's right down to lifestyle. So dogs are living longer because they're having better lifestyles, just as their owners are. So what would influence the, the lifespan positively and indeed what would take from the doggy years? Okay, so the first thing in the early part of their lives is a really good exercise routine and being kept fit and being kept the right weight. That's the single most important factor during the animal's life, fitness and weight. Um, in later life, the single most important factor is proper senior care. So being brought to the vet regularly, for um, little checkups and any early problems being spotted and addressed early, um, while at the same time being kept in a, a nice family environment where they have a good quality of life, right? And the third thing linked to that, equally important, diet. The, the importance of diet in dogs is something, thankfully, that owners are really beginning to latch onto and beginning to understand. Um, and there is no doubt that feeding them correctly um, in the first year of their life um, and in the last few years, they, they, they make, make, make key differences. So four things that I was thinking about earlier before, before we chatted. The first thing is the fitness. Um, the second thing is the lifestyle uh, and weight throughout the life. The third thing is good senior care as they get older. And the fourth thing is diet, mm. is feeding, the quality of the feeding. Would you mind expanding on diet? Because you say a lot of owners have come to this understanding. Well, some may not have. And again, sometimes you hear mixed messages. Oh, wet food is best or dry food is best or a mixture is best. Yeah, yeah, a mixture is best. It it doesn't really matter as long as it's good wet food, good dry food. It's, It's, you know, and some people are even moving towards raw food, which I don't really approve of because the risk of food poisoning is higher with raw food, number one, and the risk that you won't get the nutritional balance right is, is higher. So there's a phenomenon of premiumization, which is feeding premium diets. Now, these premium diets, uh, as opposed to the, the cheaper supermarket diets, right, they're the ones that have been formulated by scientists, and they're similar to the recipes that, you know, racing greyhounds and working dogs are getting, in that all of the minerals and vitamins and calcium and proteins are properly controlled and properly looked at. Now, what has happened in, uh, in the commercial pet food sector, the two moves to two trends. On the one end of the spectrum, on the bad end, you have really cheap pet foods where loads of bad ingredients, salt and sugar and colours and flavours go into these bags um, and the bags then are packaged and marketed almost to look like sweets. So a lot of those very cheap supermarket diets are very bad and they will lead to obesity and heart disease and kidney disease. But but on the other hand, um, the newer dog owners who are going to the good pet stores and going to the good co-ops and going to the vets and 
buying the expense of the premium diets that are scientifically balanced, those dogs literally get sick less often than the others and literally live longer. Mm. What about breeding? So, well, first of all, let's talk uh, in general terms about uh, whether crossbreeds live longer or pure breeds live longer. Yeah, generally crossbreeds live longer simply because they have a lower incidence of genetic defects. So, you know the designer breeding phenomenon of, of producing these lovely pedigree dogs to look a particular way or have a particular skin colour or coat colour. That has led to an increase in problems with um, heart disease, liver disease, kidney disease, joint disease, breeding difficulties. So when we breed dogs to look a particular way and perform in the show ring, it's bad. Then we breed in defects. Um, but when we look at, uh, look at dogs and breed them by type, and breed them for a function, and breed them to do a job, um, then they live longer. Mm. So that's why working breeds generally live better, live longer than showbred dogs. But the Jack Russell seems to be the longest-lived of all, which is yeah. a small breed. Yeah. Is it yeah. generally the case that small breeds outlive the larger ones? Yeah, generally the case. I, I think it's to do with the fact that their cardiovascular system and livers and kidneys have less stress because they're smaller. Right, they tend to be more active, and um, so they're fitter and lighter throughout their lives. And um, so they'd be they'd be the factors behind mm. it. I suppose those um, little legs have to work all the harder, don't they, to cover the ground? So they keep fitter, they keep themselves fitter, and they live longer. Jack Russells as well. The interesting thing about them is they're top of the list because they're not a defined controlled breed. So they tend to be um, Jack Russells come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Mm. So a little bit like the working dogs, they're bred for function. And that makes them healthier. Which dogs generally live for the shortest time? Um, the flat-nosed types. Um, the veterinary term for these would be brachycephalic. They are pugs, bulldogs, um, French bulldogs, um, boxers even as well fit into that category. Um, the reason why is because of the shortened, flattened faces. Their hearts and lungs are under much more pressure from an earlier age, so they develop more heart disease, more kidney disease, and more lung disease. So that, that's the sad thing about the trend for the cute squashed face. Um, and there's, vets are always publishing papers trying to discourage the breeding uh, of these, these flat, flat-nosed dogs. Um, there, there, there have been pictures shown of English bulldogs and uh, English boxers from 100 years ago, and they looked very, they were a working dog, a kind of a utility dog, used for hunting at that time, um, hunting and uh, hunting vermin and, and mm-hmm. hunting, as well as hunting ducks and, and that sort of stuff. So these boxers, uh, I even believe it or not, were, were a, a, a utility. They were a working dog and bulldogs were a working dog and so on. They didn't have the squashed face. The squashed face has appeared because humans decided to to select for this and reward for it in the showing. Um, so n- now the effect of that appearance that people think is cute has been to the detriment of their breathing, their breathing, oh, no. their lungs, their hearts, oh, the whole act. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Had a text from Baldy. <laughs> Morning, Baldy. Baldy has a German shepherd. Uh, doggy was 17 when she had to be put to sleep. She was 10 weeks yeah. old when I got her. Broke my heart. And the reason I mention this is a few owners of Alsatians and German shepherds have been in touch and there's a concern about their their back legs. 
that yeah. there seems to be a weakness that develops there in later life and they have to be put down. It's not that their heart gives up or their lungs or anything else. It's no. unfortunately a, a, a humane effort. So their, their defect is orthopaedic. Yeah, it's bones and hips. And the reason why there is, again, if you look at the German Shepherd of more than 100 years ago, they were literally a shepherd dog, right? A utility breed, a working breed. Um, and then they were kind of taken over by uh, show enthusiasts and dog showing enthusiasts who created this dog with a slinky, uh, low-lying appearance. Um, this type of stealth stance, as they call it, with the low back end, looking as if the dog is about to you know, spring into action. But, but the effect of that low slung hind end has been that their hips have become weaker over the generations. Um, now, the counterbalance to that is there's a move to select straight-backed ones and straight-legged ones and reward them in the showing again. Mm. Um, and you'll find on the Irish dog selling pages people advertising straight-backed ones and more people specifically looking for ones that have a kind of a more normal shape rather than the slinky, stealthy, low-slung back end. And that's a good thing because hip dysplasia, as it's called, is the weakening of the hips. The problem with that is, is, is that the dogs literally get to the stage where even with medication, um, even with all the medical help, all the veterinary help we can give them, at 10 or 11 or 12 years of age, sometimes these, these hips are just so weak that uh, unless you were to do full hip replacement, mm. they're not going to get their mobility back and their quality of life then is so bad that they need to be put to sleep. Des, can you hold it off with diet, with supplementation? Yeah, you can. Um, really good new 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 owners of these new dogs now, the ones that spotted early, they're coming to us with these pups uh, and there's a developmental age of about nine months where they get a growth spurt and their stance or their walk appears to change a little and people get concerned if they notice that. We get the chance to x-ray them and diagnose the warning signals are there for early orthopaedic disease. We call it at that stage, not hip dysplasia. It might be developmental orthopaedic disease. So DOD is the, the term we refer to it. When the warning signals are there in the growth plates and joints at the nine-month to 12-month age. So what we do with them is they go on a, a restricted exercise plan. and um, The owners know, know not to take them for the extra long walks. Um, we're, we, we, we have them control the body weight very closely, keep them light. Um, we put them on one of the good premium diets where the calcium and mineral balance is, is correct for, for a growing large breed. And then the fourth thing is we sometimes supplement um, chondroitin and glucosamine to strengthen the joints. Um, none of that is terribly expensive and it's not invasive in any way. It's just management and lifestyle stuff. And we're saying to people then at that stage, right, you get your puppy off the wet food, no treats, he goes on a really good scientifically balanced diet and he stays on that for life. And if you do that, the hip dysplasia won't get too bad and he'll be mobile up until 12 or 13, the same as any dog. Final one for you, uh, because a few people are asking about home remedies. For instance, Amy says her granny used to have a Jack Russell crossbreed and in his later years, whenever he would become poorly, he'd get a little shot of whiskey, of Jemison or Powers. <laughs> then he would revive. What yeah, are your views? It wouldn't do him. It probably, listen, it probably didn't do him any harm. And, and it, I'd tell you what it would have done to the little bit. If he had a, a bit of a few aches and pains or a tummy bug or under the weather, a little fever, um, probably a, a dose or a shot like that would put him back on his food and he'd eat away again. And um, 
you know with animals the first sign of illness uh, and disease is they go off their food mm. and we usually find they recover quicker if we can get them back eating so that's what the little shot of whiskey would have done Good stuff Des always great talking with you thanks Cheers, for taking the call Thank you. Des Groom from Groom Vets in Kildare It is 22 minutes past 10 very, very important message for you now. Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with O'Brien's Mullingar. The all-new Renault Kajar. Start living. P.O.Brien.ie A huge, huge wish of good luck to Kilcormac, to the town that's hosting the FLA this weekend. The town's full of emotion and excitement. And let the shower up in the doyle know we'll be burning turf and plenty of it. Up Kilcormac is the message here. That's from Gavin and the musicians who are listening in today. Enjoy, guys. Enjoy. And by the way, Kieran was in touch to wish the very best to Kilcormac, Kalahi, uh, Kalahi, I should say, and Ballinagore GAA clubs who are in the All-Ireland Scornanog final in Killarney this Sunday. KK in the figure dancing, Balnagore in the novelty act. Knock their socks off, guys. Well done. Ida wants to pay compliments to Des Groom, a very informative vet. We had a little crossbreed terrier, she says, and he lived to 15. His name was Mo, short for Morley. My daughter named him after one of the West Meath footballers. I didn't replace him, but I have two cats now, two strays. Will, I had a dog who was a Border Collie Retriever mix, and that's a combination. He was 13, sorry, he was one of 13 puppies. But he was always sick, and yet he was a big dog. I fed him Royal Canaan for years, and then doggy senior food. But unfortunately, he passed away from lymphoma leukaemia. Ah, Lovely picture here of 12-year-old Snoopy, who is in great shape. And he's on a great diet, apparently, on wet senior food. Lots of exercise, long walks, and he's still like a puppy. Will, one of our dogs, Andy, was 17 when he passed away peacefully and naturally a few months ago in his sleep. He was a mixed breed, and I can only describe him as looking like the Wookiee from Star Wars. We loved him so much, and we were heartbroken when he passed. Ah. Chewie, wasn't that the Wookiee in Star Wars? He looked like Chewie. PJ, or sorry, Joe, has sent in a picture of his old friend Rover, a collie who died aged 11. And Rex is in Port Leash. He is in uh, great shape from the looks of it. He's a little bit grey. We all go grey eventually. And he lives with Maggie and follows her everywhere. Yes, including the toilet. He has a great sense of smell. Okay, maybe maybe they don't stink, Maggie. Maybe they don't stink. Anyway, on to other matters. And a follow-up, because sometimes you hear about people uh, raising money and trying to rally communities, and it's always important to show what the end result is. So let's go to Gishel, where Alan Gethings is spokesperson for the Gishel Ukraine Committee. Good morning, Alan. Remind us what you have been up to and how the fruits of your labour have paid off. Well, we started quite some time ago, four weeks ago, to actually try and provide more sustainable long-term solutions for families fleeing from Ukraine. 
And with this in mind, we decided or we tried to see if we could put in some mobile homes in uh, the caravan park in Geishal village, which was kindly donated by the owner. And we have been collecting money ever since. And we've now the first mobile home in and there's more coming on next Tuesday Great. and Friday. Great. So hopefully, hopefully, all next, the following week, maybe, if all good, got good, we might have the first families in. Who are you coordinating with to get these people into the community? We certainly are. We're co- coordinating with uh, the Red Cross. The Red Cross is the one who actually will decide who and what goes in and where. Um, but as regards the village, we're coordinating with everyone in the village to just come together as a community because it's, it's the GAA, it's, it's the tidy towns, it's, it's everyone in the village to come together to make this possible. It can't be done without everyone together. Well, you've made huge strides to get everything in place, the mobile homes, the facilities. Is there a plan once the people arrive then, a welcoming committee, so to speak? There is a welcome committee. There's a welcome. Um, actually, we're we're doing a welcome pack in each mobile to give kind of a lie of the land of what to do, how to get to Tullamore, how to get to shops. The tidy towns are doing vegetable plots and different things that might, if they wanted to grow some vegetables in their own uh, area, because each mobile home has a plot for vegetables and flowers, and. There is also going to be food and whatever lined up for the first few weeks to give them a chance to get their feet on the ground, to know what to do, how to do it, and where to go. And there's also other people lined up to do, um, if there's any problems with language and whatever, that's all being coordinated with Tullamore Ukraine, um, sorry, committee. I know you've baked the cakes, you've had the Kaylee, you've held the auction. Do you have all the funds now that you need to make this happen? Look, we have enough to get everything there, but the fundraising hasn't finished because there is also another two houses that if we're able to get enough funds together and do them up, we have the use of two more houses in the area that will, one of them has five bedrooms and three reception rooms can take up to three to four families, but will require money to get it up to a, a livable standard. So our fundraising hasn't stopped. And with that in mind, there's actually a bake sale in Tullamore today in Charleville, um, in Charleville. And there is a monster, monster auction on Sunday the 8th in the GAA in Gishel. So our fundraising never really stops. Well, keep up the great work, Alan. Thanks for the progress update and we'll chat soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Alan Gettings is spokesperson for the Gishel Ukraine Committee. And, well, likewise, wherever you may be in the Midlands, if you wish to tell everybody what progress you've made, pick up that phone, talk to the Midlands on 0818 300 103. Now, in 15 minutes, protect your clothes because you're going to see more moths this year. Well, you certainly see evidence of them if there are holes in the most precious of clothes. But next, should small charities be audited, ones running on as little as €10,000 per year? Because audits can be expensive, they can be time-consuming. But then again, how do you catch bad charities otherwise? Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with Tullamore Motors. The Renault Capture. Capture life. TullamoreMotors.ie If you're a large charity at the moment, you have to be 
audit it to make sure everything is above board. A large charity, by the way, is one with a turnover um, in the region of 8.8 million euro. Uh, That has a balance sheet north of 4.4 million euro. That has more than 50 people working for it. That's a big charity. However, the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, is going to unveil plans today to bring down the minimum threshold because she wants charities, in effect all charities, to have an audit if their income is above €10,000, if their balance sheet is above €10,000, if they have employees. And you've got a balance of considerations here. On one hand, yes, you do not want the goodwill of people and the generosity to be abused. You want to catch bad charities. On the other, when many of these are voluntary, do you wish to bog down people in red tape unnecessarily? Because an audit can be quite time-consuming. Depending on what's involved, it can be quite expensive. Let's tease this out with John McCann from MCM Accounting in Tullamore. John, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. For non-accountants, what's involved in an audit? Um, okay, well, this, this is an interesting um, an interesting little bit of legislation that's in front of us. Um, and what is proposed is that uh, pretty well all charities um, are going to be audited. Um, audit is a, is a kind of a term that's thrown around the place very blindly. Um, most people actually don't understand. Uh, they think final accounts and audited accounts are one and the same thing, which they're not. Um, and, and there's a very, very um, distinct difference. What an audit involves, an audit involves, uh, sorry, a company will prepare accounts. They will be, there will be an accountant's report in it. And that accountant's report will generally say, look, on the basis of the information that the directors have supplied to us, we prepared the accounts. Now, there will be a tend to be a sense of responsibility on the reporting accountants to carry out basic work that that um, the accounts appear, appear reasonable and they haven't seen anything that conflicts with how the, 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 the presentation that the accounts are giving, that there's no conflicts that, that that would appear unreasonable or would appear wrong. An audit is a much, much more, um, I suppose, uh, extensive investigation into the books and records of the company. Uh, what it involves is it will involve uh, reviewing um, not only, I won't say all the books and records, but it would certainly re- involve reviewing them on a sample basis, but a significant sample basis that would give the auditor a reasonable view that the books and records are well maintained, that they are accurate and they are properly accounted for. But it would also involve considering the systems of internal control. Now, what the systems of an internal control are is that if you take a charity, a charity might receive money coming in. Well, how is that recorded? Do the charity know the money's coming in? Has the charity approved the raising of that money? So when the money comes in, who counts it? Who checks it? Who lodges it? Is there an oversight um, that they, the money has actually been lodged and that it has been checked and it would appear reasonable? And does that actually, um, it, in the oversight of that, does that... Does that kind of equate to what the original um, view was that we we're going to raise X amount of money. And an example might be that, might be, let's say it's Sunflower Day in, um, for hospice or something which I was involved in. We'd expect, let's say 10,000 was, was going to be raised on that and we knew who was going to raise the money, et cetera, et cetera. If all of a sudden only 5,000 was actually raised, well then, you know, 
the auditor would have to ask questions and would have to look at the underlying documentation. Why did that happen? That is essentially an audit. And eventually, when the auditor is finished, he really comes up with the view, or she comes up with the view, that the accounts are true and fair and the systems of internal control are good or bad, or whatever the outcome is. Now, if the auditor is not satisfied, and there are a number of legal grounds that uh, he can say or she can say, no, the books and records aren't right, that's immediate criminal prosecution or potential criminal prosecution for the director. So it's a very, very, very big step. So audit is a huge, huge uh, change for the smaller, smaller organisations. Yeah. So let's talk about scale. If you have a large charity and millions and millions of euro are being raised, then they probably have the resources to absorb the cost, number one, but they'd have the manpower as well to filter through all the information that an auditor may ask for. At what point does that become less workable? Uh, well, my personal view on this is... Um, this is, uh, and I'm going to be disingenuous, but I'm going to go, and I've said it before, this is senior people within the government um, just going off the top. And, and frankly, I think it's phenomenally stupid the levels they've set, set it at. Because, as I say, an audit is a very extensive investigation, and you have, you have many, many organisations that do very, very good work. So let's say, for example, you take um, your local hall, and your local hall would, would, would run... Um, Oh, I don't know, maybe Christmas parties for the elderly would run, um, let's say, uh, sports, etc., etc. And they may raise, may raise 25,000. They are not going to have the ability to carry out these extensive tests, these extensive systems. And these systems also require the employment of people, etc., etc., to ensure that uh, the books and records are right. Now, the reality is, on, on an organisation like that, like, what is the risk of something going to be wrong? It's very, very low. So, so it should be completely exempt from audit. Um, and I would say maybe ending up to 100,000. And the, what's the problem here is that the civvies in, 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 in Dublin, of course, where they make all the wise decisions, um, are sitting down and looking at the bold boys, typically a teacher view that there's one, bad, one boy in the class has been exceptionally bad, so we're going to slap the whole class. And that's what's happened here. I think that, as you say, they need to scale this and they need to put it in the context and the context, I would say, is raising money for something like, you know, up to maybe €100,000. Um, because if you're, if you're talking about extensive audits and audits being put in place, instead of your accountancy fees being maybe 1500 for a year, you could find themselves seven and a half, eight thousand €8,000, which would just wipe out the whole, the whole benefit. So, of... OK, so hang on. Uh, let's say an organisation only has a turnover of €10,000. That's where this proposal yes. would begin. How much would an audit of a, an organisation of that size likely cost? Well, if you're doing if you're doing an audit of that, and it depends on the number of transactions, and it depends on the complexity. This is the, the point, Will. It's not just a, a, a very, and, and this sounds like a politician answering, but it's, it's not as simple as that. But assuming it's relatively simple, it's going to cost you two and a half grand. So 25% of the turnover. 25% of the turnover for that charity is going to go towards the audit potentially, fee alone. Potentially. potentially. Okay. And it's... And, my feeling is that these are really stupid people who are not sitting back and looking and analysing the risk. Uh, certainly for large organisations, they're going to be altered. These are the bold boys. But what I would make a point with, and if you look at it, some of the people who have been really bold have been altered by very reputable Dublin accounting practices. So has it solved the problem? No. So what they're going to do is they're going to slap all the people running smaller uh, charities and doing good work for the communities with, with, with more expensive uh, fees. Okay. Trying to balance this, 
given that we don't want the generosity of people to be used and abused, is there a light audit or some other technique that could be used to glance at the books periodically and make sure there's nothing obviously wrong? It doesn't have to be as forensic? Well, at, at this point, uh, at this point, I suppose the, the answer is no. There is no such thing as, as audit light, uh, unlike like, uh, um, other areas. Um, and if you even factor in the likes of, um, and that's why the legislators don't really put scale into account to any great extent. Um, the Companies Act, when it was introduced, is a very, 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 very large document. Um, but it applies, the, the rules almost apply to a very large PLC as they do to the small, small um, community, community, let's say, um, uh, doing whatever, whatever mm, they are, mm. once they are incorporated as a limited company. So it, it hasn't been scaled. Now, it's just important to, 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 to recognise that um, you, you qualify as a charity if, you, if, you, if you're registered the charities regulator, and that invariably will mean that you will have revenue approval not to pay taxes. So in theory, if you stayed outside of that, you wouldn't be subject to um, an audit. But there again, then you'd have to pay the various taxes that would be appropriate corporation tax um, and, you, and you won't be able to avail of the of the generous incentives that revenue give for a charity so I, I i just don't think they have got this right they haven't thought this out at all properly we'll watch the space because uh, the minister will be making the formal announcement today the heads of bill were approved by government this week it's going to be called the general scheme of charities amendment bill john mccann of mcm accounting thank you for your time Thanks, Will. Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie Now, still on the agenda this morning, an elderly lady living alone here in the Midlands has been hit with an electricity bill for nearly €3,500. Her previous bill was 123 quid. How on earth did this happen? Well, you'll find out after 11. We'll also see if there's any way we can help her. The Midlands 103 text and WhatsApp line. 083 30 10 103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Tullamore. The home of Offaly's top-selling car brand, Toyota. Midlands 103. Nothing worse than opening up the wardrobe, pulling out your favourite outfit and discovering there's a hole in it because of moths and apparently you're going to see far more of them this year. Let's find out why from Kieran Lambert of Lambert's Pest Control in Candy West Meath. Morning, Kieran. Morning, Will. What's going on? What's going on, Will? Uh, well, your clothes, obviously, Will, you have lots of silk and, and wool clothing down there, so huh. that would be the main huh. reason that, that, that they're after it, yeah. Um, yeah, look, clothes moths, um, or carpet moths sometimes are known as they're, they're more or less the same depending on what they target is really how, how you would sort of define what problems you're getting but they really only go after like wool, silk, um, furs you know natural products like that you know they don't go after any synthetic products um, you know so it's, it's all the, the good stuff that they go after Yeah, Rent-A-Kill says we're coming into the time of year when these boys get more active what's the usual season for moths? Ah, uh, Rendicill always say things like that. I wouldn't mind them lads at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some lads like to make a story. Yeah, look, moths are always there, okay? Um, is there an increase? Look, probably with the, 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 the mild winter that we've had, uh, the insect population naturally hasn't been sort of killed off that way. So 
there is there is a slight increase, a, li- a little spike to it, but it's not that major. Whereas like people need to start panicking about their their wool clothes or stuff like that, you know. But like if if you do have a wool carpet, the the signs to keep an eye on are under um say your TV unit, you know, under a, a dressing table, something like that, and it's you know just to move it out every so often and just see. Is there any damage done to the carpet? Because what what the, the the moth will do it's not actually the moth that does it now; it's the actual larvae of the moth that does it. So, what what the adult moth does, it lays eggs. Okay, so it can it can lay sort of forty fifty eggs at a time, all right. And in about four to ten days, then them eggs will hatch out into a larvae. Okay, and it's that larvae that will actually do the damage. Okay, so they they eat they they, they survive on the on the wool and the silk and the furs. All the natural products is what what they, they they survive on, all right. And that larvae will can actually live for between two and sort of thirty months, you know. And um, did you say two and thirteen? Two and no, two and thirty, three zero. Two and a half years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for, yeah. So they can sort of. It's like this, not like they incubate themselves, but they they wait till the conditions are favor favorable for them, and then the same with the butterfly. Then they they go in, they go into like a cocoon. And then they hatch out in, into the adult moth then again after that, and the whole cycle starts off, off again. So it's a complete metamorphosis system is what they're they're working on. But it's it's the larvae that does the damage because the adult moth itself doesn't actually do any damage um, to to your to your carpet, to your, your clothes and stuff like that. It's the larvae that does the damage. But to con- to control it then, all right, what you have to do then is you have to treat them. If they're in the carpets, you have to treat the carpets for it. So all the carpets need to be sprayed. Every inch of the carpet needs to be sprayed to kill them because I've seen carpets in houses will where the carpet is basically stripped bare. You know, there'd be about, you know, even patches of a tree four foot wide of carpets just stripped bare. And it's your good wool carpet. It's not It's not a cheap carpet you've, you've got in the house. You know, it's always the, the, the good one that they're after. So... You need to treat the carpets and then you also need to treat for the flying moths as well because if you can break up their breeding cycle to stop the moths laying the eggs, then obviously then you stop the, the eggs hatching out in, in, into the larva. So you do. And that's the key to it. And then you wait and wait and wait and hope you've managed to get them all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, see, the products we use, right, um, the, the amateur products you buy are obviously not as good, obviously, as our stuff. Our stuff is stronger because we're, we're licensed to use it. But the products we use, like uh, the insecticides, can be residual for three months once we spray it on the surface, okay? So like that, if, if in the eggs, if they hatch, hatch out into a larvae then, say, in a month's time, then the, the larvae will crawl across the insecticide and that, that will kill off the larvae then as well. And that will stop the, the procedure as well. And then, obviously, we, we do a treatment then for flying insects. So that, that's your moths. And once, once they're, they're dead, then obviously they can lay no eggs. And, and, and that disrupts the whole, the whole breeding cycle then as well. And that's the key to it. You know, you need to break up that breeding cycle to it. And if you don't, then your clothes are destroyed. You know, I've seen people think they're, you know, they're good jumpers, they're good dresses and wardrobes and just holes dotted all over them. You know, absolute destroyed for them, you know. Kieran, grateful for your advice. Thank you very much for taking the call. Appreciate it, Will. Kieran Lambert from Lambert's Pest Control in Mullingar. Who is drawing the doggy pension? Well, with thanks to Corcoran Hearing, and you'll find Kieran and his team, Colm, excuse me, Colm, Colm and his team, in the Midlands Consultant Clinic of the Arden Road in Tullamore, where you can get a thousand euro off your new or replacement hearing aid through your PRSI contributions. He's given us two nights B&B at the Four Star Shearwater Hotel.
to our caller of the week, which could be any of these. Will, I have a Yorkie. He will be 17 in June. He's old to look at, but he is our absolute life. Next caller has a beloved Jack Russell girl called Miss Ellie. Unfortunately, uh, she died in January 2014, but lived to be 14 years of age. She was a rescue dog. She was 10 when we got her. She was black and white. Escaped once under the fence by digging a hole to chase a cat. She got very sick and she almost died. I did my best to get her back up. Um, One year later, unfortunately, she wasn't able to walk around. I took her to the vet, I was told. It's a genetic defect. And unfortunately, the costs of anti-inflammatory tablets and painkillers and so on and so forth, just very, very, very expensive. Anyway, you are devastated all these years later and I, I feel for you. Anne in Mullingar has a golden retriever, 14. That's a great age for a golden retriever. Will, uh, what is the lifespan of a Patterdale bitch? Are they good for kids? No idea. Never heard of that breed before. But if you have the answer, please let me know. Deirdre in Clara, your aunt and uncle had a mixed breed dog called Troy. Troy was over 20 when he passed away and you've very fond memories of this little man following you to school. He knew his way back to the estate where you grew up and back to uh, his home as well. He was 12. Sorry, he was over 20, but you had a dog of your own called Kelly and Kelly lived to be 12 when she passed away. She was a King Charles Cavalier. And back to WhatsApp from Tara who has three Basset hounds. Cora the Mammy, Dash the Daddy, Runty in the middle. Dash is 14 and was a rescue dog. Cora is 11 and Runty is 8. Yeah, they're not exactly in a rush in the picture, are they? No. And they're not everybody's cup of tea, you say. Uh, Incredibly stubborn, would eat rings around themselves if they could. Diet is important. Yes, indeed. Cecilia in Mullingar. You had a Bichon Frige, a lady was her name, and lady died at the age of eight from fits. Oh dear. I love her so much I even got her name tattooed on my arm and her little paws to remember her by. Charlie is a 14-year-old boxer and looking very well is Charlie. Wow, he's in great condition. Not sure where he's living, but he's an impressive gentleman. Scruffy is the rescue dog belonging to Susan in Tyrrell's Pass. He uh, passed away aged 16 plus after a wonderful life and is dearly, dearly missed. Or she, I should say. She was treated like a queen. Oh, by Daisy and Rose, of course, by the Celtic Blondes. Uh, Rusty was missing an eye from the looks of this picture. But uh, gentle-looking doggy all the same. Now... The latest news is next at 11, after which how a pensioner suddenly received out of the blue an electricity bill for nearly €3,500. Midlands Today with Tullamore Motors. The all-new Renault Zoe. Live the easy electric life. TullamoreMotors.ie Good advice from Cyril, who says, your meter this weekend and register what the meter says before the end of the month 
because of higher unit rates from the 1st of May. And therefore, if you're on an estimate, you will be paying any shortfall at the higher rate rather than at the current rate. He's absolutely right. Thanks, Cyril. And in fact, this next story is going to prove that point in a very, very pensioner living here in the Midlands. The case has been highlighted by Independent TD Dennis Nocton. Dennis, good morning. Good morning, Will. What are the circumstances here? This is um, a pensioner living uh, on her own uh, in the rural Midlands. Um, and she um, got her recent electricity bill, uh, which had gone up from uh, €123, Euro. the previous one I think was €96, Euro. Uh, and all of a sudden she got a bill for €3,385. Euro. And the reason for this was that she had been operating on an estimated bill for the last uh, 24 months. Like many uh, older people uh, across the Midlands, they're living in older houses where the electricity meter is inside. Um, it's up high in the, the kitchen, like most uh, houses of the time. Um, yes, she did get uh, the odd postcard in the letterbox, um, but you have to get the NPRM number of your electricity bill. You have to climb up uh, to try and read the meter, then try and use uh, an automated system uh, to actually input uh, the meter reading. Uh, and that was difficult for her uh, living on her her own. And it was never clearly laid out to her the significance of, of not uh, providing the meter reading until she received uh, this shock in the post mm. uh, last week. And I've no doubt in the normal course of events, somebody would call and check the meter, but with COVID and cocooning, to use that word that we'd hopefully long forgotten, I imagine there wasn't an opportunity for somebody to come in. Well, no, in fairness, the, the meter reader has called out, like, the, the, this has, has built up over the last 24 months. Uh, and the meter reader has called out in that period of time. Uh, but the difficulty is here that, first of all, um, there should be an obligation on the electricity companies to actually read the meter itself so that if the meter re reader calls and doesn't get someone, that they arrange to come back. Like we've seen it in, in the last couple of weeks with the census, mm. where if the census uh, collector, enumerator, doesn't get the census form, they call back and, and make arrangements to do that. Okay, and just that to clarify, so in this lady's like this. in this lady's case, the person who called Mister or otherwise wasn't able yeah. to read the meter. Yes, the, the meter, like most old older houses, the meter is inside uh, in the house. It's not outside like like hmm. newer houses, like more energy efficient houses. It's inside uh, in the house. And the other difficulty is then that she um, has to pay that bill at the current uh, rate, which is 10% higher than uh, when most of the electricity was actually consumed. And if she was unfortunate enough to get the bill next month, she'd probably be looking at an additional €1,000 uh, in uh, arrears uh, just because of the change in the rate. So I would urge uh, all of your listeners to make sure that they they get a meter reading and get it into their relevant electricity company before the end of this month because uh, it'll have huge implications in terms of their uh, electricity bill when it comes out after that. Does this lady have any recourse given that she would have used this electricity, perhaps some of it, uh, 18 months, two years ago? 
Not in Ireland, she doesn't. Uh, however, if she lived in the UK, she would. Um, and this is the point that I made to Eamon Ryan in the Dáil yesterday. There's a legal obligation in the UK uh, to meet, read the meter uh, every six months and that an electricity company cannot bill someone for arrears that are more than 12 months old. Uh, if that uh, rule was in place here in this country, it would mean that the electricity company, that there'd be a responsibility on them uh, to actually read the meter, which isn't the case at the moment. Once they put the postcard in the letterbox, they have complied with the, the rules here in Ireland. And I don't believe that that's good enough because we shouldn't have uh, vulnerable pensioners uh, around our country facing bills uh, like this. Because, one, it's complicated to put in the, the meter reading and two, people don't know the significance of it because it's not clear on that postcard that's put in the letterbox. For this lady, though, she's looking at a bill that's worth about 14 weeks' pension. Assuming she lives off nothing, doesn't buy food, doesn't have any other outgoings. How yes. is she going to repay this? Well, look, what she will do now and the advice that I've given her is to make contact directly with the electricity company concerned. They will agree some sort of a, a repayment uh, scheme uh, to reschedule uh, that uh, over a period of time. Uh, and they will do that. But the difficulty is that it's going to make things very difficult for her uh, over the next period of time. Electricity prices are increasing Food prices are increasing. The cost of fuel to, to travel to and from her home uh, is increasing. And having to pay this additional debt on top of that uh, is going to cause serious financial hardship to her purely because no one read the meter. I dare say there are probably a lot of people, elderly and otherwise, who are now panicking and wish to check the meter and wish to update their accounts. And uh, one person has asked, with smart meters, does the supplier know what has been received? Does that make any difference? Yeah, no, with the, the smart meters, they're, they're read remotely now. So there shouldn't be an issue uh, with the smart meter. The difficulty is with the, the old mechanical meters, the big uh, black uh, meter uh, that's inside in someone's house. Like if it's outside, it should be read by the electricity company. Um, but we're talking about older houses which themselves are harder to heat. In a lot of cases, it's uh, older people that are in those houses. As we know, the, the meters are, are usually put up high uh, inside in the kitchen, so they're physically very difficult uh, for older people uh, to reach. And, you know, just for listeners this morning, they might check in on some of their uh, older neighbours and um, just make sure that the meter is read uh, before the end of this month and the increased electricity charges come in from the 1st of May. Dennis Nocton, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Deputy Nocton is an independent TD in Roscommon, Galway. Crazy world. Aslan's crazy world. 20 past 11 on Midlands 103. And next, should 16-year-olds have the right to vote? Who will win in turf wars? The Friday panel is next. Now, on our Friday panel today, let's say, first of all, good morning to Paul O'Brennan, who is an organiser of the National Alpaca Show. Good morning, Will. Hello. What is the National Alpaca Show? The National Alpaca Show is all about alpacas in Ireland. And so in Mullingar on Sunday, 
there'll be about 120 of different colours and the two different breeds Hakaya which is what I breed or uh, Surrey which looks like a, an Afghan hound with dreadlocks um, completely different a little bit more skitty would you say a little bit but not not as quiet as Hakaya but all alpacas are reasonably quiet not like people mix them up with llamas who would spit at you and maybe mm. give you a good kick but um, alpacas are much more gentle. Back up a little bit then. So, how did you get involved in this? Because when we talked originally, you were in the construction business. I was in many businesses. I'm still in, 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 in different businesses, but it, completely by accident. Um, back in 2012, I, I was in building, as you know, and, and I was um, doing a bit of development, but a client said to me, do you, do you know what an alpaca is? Because I've got some paddocks and I'd like to graze them because I don't really think these donkeys I have around here are doing much good for me. Right. I hadn't a clue. Went home, read the paper, and it was a, on 2012 Tullamore show, they were going to have alpacas. So I said to this guy, let's, let's go and have a look. I'm bringing kids down. We went down. The rest is history. We fell in love with these alpacas, and now I've been up and down between 100 down to 60, back up to 100 down to the, and they're, they're really, really um successful mm. in Ireland because our climate suits them they live longer in Ireland than where they c- come from in Peru um, they're, they're a fabulous animal they are uh, bred for their wool their wool is worth you know anything from sort of 20 to 60 euros a kilo depending on the quality and colour even the waste wool is worth you know a couple of euro fascinating yeah. so what's the format of the show and who will enjoy it well, we have an international judge. Normally, we, we have them coming from the UK. This time, we've got um, a German judge, Robin. Um, and the reason we, we've gone that way is because we want to create a bigger market in Europe. And there's a huge market in Europe for alpacas. Um, they've been always gone to the UK. UK is now went through Brexit. They are struggling because of it, the only way they can export alpacas into Europe is come through Ireland. So, you know, we should take advantage of that. We've got, on the, the registry has gone up by about 20% every year. The breeders and members are going up by the same. There's a small amount of land could be taken away from, say, normal farming, mm. as we would discuss, you know, sheep farming and, and, and cattle. And if you take a few, a few acres and start with the animals are very valuable but they live a long time so a, a female or a male will live 20 to 25 years I have a 19 year old female on our farm that's going to give birth this year wow and it'll more than likely uh, will um, be pregnant again for next year so they're fertile quite late in life then. yes amazing we have to say hello to some of our other panellists though okay. as well First of all, Bernie McHugh from the Lark Cancer Support Sanctuary in Multifarnham in County Westmeath. How are you, Bernie? Good morning, Will. I'm good, thank you. And you? Are you all excited for the Westmeath Bachelor Festival? Yeah, isn't it great? I am a Westmeath Bachelor. Yeah, it's mighty. It's brilliant. I'm delighted for the organisers. I wish them every success this weekend. I know it's 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 daunting and it's nerve-wracking and it's huge and it's exciting and it's very busy for them but i couldn't wish them more luck for a successful weekend we won't be far behind them with our own shenanigans at the fla so it's exciting to see Mullingar active again with uh, 
you know, with with festivals and activity again, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. I wish them a world of success and huge crowds. And if that weather keeps up, sure they'll be flying. A lot happening. Uh, you know, alpaca shows. Don't forget the Mullingar Agri Show shall be back. Lots to talk about. Also on the panel, Derek Martin of Martin Engineering Consultancy Services. So that means you do what, Derek? Good morning. Morning, Will. How are you keeping? Um, I basically look at energy options um, and I don't have any sales requirements. I just look at the energy profile of your home and see where you could actually uh, benefit by putting in renewables or not, um, by, by putting in more fabric insulation or not. It's it's basically a consultancy and engineering service just to to um, make you aware of the options and also give you an informed um, uh, decision to make as well, opposed to walking into a sales guy and him selling you whatever's on the shelf. Let's throw the curveball at you then first, because the most contentious issue of the last couple of weeks, certainly here in the Midlands, has been Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader's proposed ban on the sale and distribution of turf, which he had hoped to introduce in September. Politically, that's not going to happen now. But let's imagine you're living in an older home and it's, I don't know, got an E rating or some very low BER rating. Realistically, Derek, on a small budget, do you have much choice but to keep burning turf or... Are the options such as wood pellets and so on perhaps less expensive than is perceived? It's all subject to budget. At the end of the day, like you can go the full whack and insulate your home, create an envelope and put in air to water, but it's going to cost you in the region of 70, 80 to 100 grand. Okay, I think we can rule that out for most old age pensioners. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the the situation is it's 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 fabric, it's heat loss, so it's it's fabric. So the more insulation you can put in your attic, the more gaps that you can close on your windows, put in draft seals and you know even curtains, anything at all to stop wind um heat from uh, going to the cold, which is the second law of thermodynamics just Make sure that the the whatever heat is inside the house remains inside the house. So the thicker curtains you have, the uh, draft seals on your windows, um, even if you have single glazed windows, to put in a secondary um, skin, you know, something as simple as a bit of perspex or a, even cling film works on the window on the glass. Um, you know, there there's small little changes that will help. Um, there, as regards the question, like, can we see anybody who's burning turf now? You know, the, the, the grants aren't there. The, the the supports aren't there. The costs is exponential. Everything has gone much, much more expensive because the supply um, is, or the demand is much, much greater than the supply. So the costings, and of course, the VAT rate hasn't come down. So you're, you're, you're basically paying top notch for something that it's essential it's it's part of your public health and safety to have heat in your home um you know so like my kind of up um, um my kind of pr- approach would be to try and mitigate um any form of um the the, the likes of the big brands and just go to the look look for the low hanging fruit look for the 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 
windows that are cracked, the the uh, doors that are uh, drafty, you know, um, okay. the, heat the retention, is a big one. heat retention, and end up burning less fuel. Therefore, Absolutely. as a result, Absolutely. Paul, and you have some insights honest, like, into the. Sorry, sorry, um, springing in Paul into the conversation as well because I know yeah. you've some insights into the energy market. What's your take on these turf wars? Well, I have a totally different take on on, on the whole energy project. I mean, I'm involved in, in energy in in, in Myanmar, um, which used to be Burma. Uh, so, I think we're concentrating on all of the wrong things. We sh- we have to concentrate on pollution, and if you concentrate on pollution, that solves most of your other problems. So don't produce anything you can't get rid of, recycle, or whatever. So that means you have to be very careful about some of the renewables you're producing. Because if you can't recycle them, don't produce them. But Any anyway, examples? Well, windmills, I suppose. Um, be very careful. Like you, I wouldn't ban anything. I don't believe in ban anything. Make best use of everything. So if you don't have a grid, you need all the renewables. If you have a grid... Be careful about which renewables you use. So don't use windmills or panels in Ireland or any First Nation country. It's just ridiculous. Why? Because that's obviously the, been the policy for the last 10, 15 years and more so well, onshore wind. Somebody tell me how they're going to recycle them. It's not possible. But anyway, that's another. Get the best out of energy. So I agree with, with, with upgrading your home. I agree totally with leaving the turf which will store carbon so the simple way is turf is not very expensive so buy it say guys you're minding it now for us we bought it the same way is different farmers get different grants for different things buy it it's not expensive and then use that money for the renewables green party if you really want to save the planet change your tact stop this carry on just stop polluting this planet and you've already saved it. We only occupy 5% of it. Stop polluting the oceans. Stop polluting everything. If you really have to uh, burn stuff, fine. Incinerate it. Incinerate it at the highest possible temperature. So there's only vapour and and water coming out of it, not pollution. Bring it back to the energy market, though, because I'm fascinated. If we can't generate or shouldn't in your opinion generate from wind because of the recycling issue i'm not saying we shouldn't we should be careful about the amount we do okay but well that's what i'm coming to what would you point to as a better solution that would suit ireland well we have everyone's on about stopping fossil fuels look at what's going on now with this war look what's going on all over the world we're snookered this guy one lunatic has us absolutely snookered and he's laughing and no matter what we do if he turns off the tap people will freeze we need fossil fuel for for the foreseeable future but we need to use it in the correct way and we don't need to be taking it off somebody that's going to cause harm all over the world there is other fossil fuels so we have it in ireland in an abundance off the west coast we just have to go and get it and this everyone you're talking about gas specifically gas, are you gas mm. gas is the best calorific, calorific value so everything else is a little bit less now they're on a bit hydrogen and all that and hopefully they will produce all of this but I don't see it in the immediate future so let's deal with where we are and we need an amount of fossil fuel and we definitely need some green energy of all sorts 
So if wind can be produced in a, a very localised area and used, if you're transmitting it across the country, every time you move electricity, you do lose power. It drops. Obviously, it drops. So get the best of it locally. But I don't like wind for many reasons. Like a lot of people in the Midlands were totally against wind for all sorts. No. Okay, what about anaerobic digestion, for instance, which produces a form of gas? Yes. It's probably a little bit more expensive, but it, it's useful. And instead of dumping any waste, you're using it again. So if you can recycle and use anything, it has to be a good thing. And, you know, there's a lot of waste out there. If you go into landfill, that's the real thing. Stop everything that you possibly can going into landfill. You can turn it into energy of some sort. There's where we should be concentrating. I'd love to see wave power because the, the, the ocean never stops moving. Mm. I'd love to see more money going into that because it has to be. I know there's corrosion and all sorts, but we can overcome anything with engineering. The problem is time. So those solutions won't happen at the click of a finger it will take years maybe decades for some of the technologies to emerge and right now Depends let's bring it back to the pensioner let's bring it back though to the pensioner in the older house who's listening to this wondering in September where am I going to get my fuel well I'd prefer uh, leave the turf in the ground and buy them wood or a wood pellet stove or whatever it takes but definitely concentrate on an older person's home if it can be sealed of obviously oh to a point you still mm. need to ventilate it a bit mm. you still need a circulation of air so if you seal an old house it can have other knock on effects as I know from building background but yes there are, we have to move fast and unfortunately that might mean moving house so in a way you and Derek are on the same page in the sense that the grand structure and the affordability structure oh, isn't there at the moment well it, it's not there targeting in the right place and, and in, others, in other countries, people will hand up their home, which they, now only if they want to. Again, never force anyone to do anything. This is a free country, even though, you know, people like to stick laws on that, you know, I think I agree. The only one thing I ever agreed with Donald Trump was if you're, if you're going to bring in a new law, get rid of some of the old ones. <laughs> Bernie, I want to give you your tuppence worth on this. Uh, do you support the turf ban or are you in opposition? Um, I suppose that the the very um, fact that I'm a country girl and the bog is this summer institution uh, that uh, the, the the annual ritual. I'd hate to see an outright ban, and I don't think it's enforceable. Really, there's going to be a certain amount of people who'll just feel that their 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 bank is their own and they'll cut turf on it, whether they're not supposed to or not. Um, you know, it's 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 part of the. the, the the country way and the country culture so um and for a lot of people there's there's no other option as you say will uh, in some of the older houses so um can't see it i i my family would have known me to be one of the absolute geniuses at avoiding all of the turf work and making the tea and the sandwiches and <laughs> uh, but avoiding you were the supervisor turn, turn, i was the supervisor yeah mm. i was brilliant at it i avoided it for years i don't know how i got away with it i suppose it was the youngest that would let me off but uh yeah be shame to to see one of the old old habits go. Let's be pragmatic. As somebody who lives in rural Ireland, imagine the ban went ahead. What do you think the reaction would be on, on what might be the level of compliance or non-compliance? 
Oh no. <laughs> oh, um, I suppose people with their own bank, it's, it would be it would be a hard pill to swallow. Um, well, they, they, under the proposal, they have turbary rights. They would continue to have them, but they couldn't give yeah. it to a neighbour. They couldn't give it to a relative. They'd they just have to burn it, it themselves. And, yeah. and it couldn't be mass produced. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know how enforceable it would be. Um, but I suspect I those people would be moving house a lot. Oh, I live here. <laughs> and I live there. And next week I live <laughs> down the road with herself. And I, and I didn't sell it, sir. I only gave it away. So, look, at, I know it's hard to... It's, it's, um, it's a tricky one. Bernie, uh, thanks for being with us. Bernie McHugh is manager at Lark Cancer Support Sanctuary. Also on the Friday panel today, Paul O'Brennan, who is organising the National Alpaca Show. We didn't say where and when it's happening, well, by I'll, the way. I'll tell you, because we've another little surprise on that one. Um, it's happening in the uh, Mullingar uh, showgrounds, Agri showgrounds, uh, just on the Castle Pollard Road. And we're getting a little surprise visit from some of the bachelors. Um, in the afternoon, somewhere between 2.30 and 3.30, to, to, to meet the alpacas. The real bachelors are the alpacas. They never get married. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, also on the Friday panel, Derek Martin of Martin Engineering Consultancy Services. Temperature in Mullingar at the moment is 12 degrees. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Great news. Fares across the Transport for Ireland network are being reduced, which means travelling on any Bus Erin operation service is now cheaper than ever. Visit buserin.ie today. One of the big business stories this week, Elon Musk, the world's richest man, is buying Twitter. And I can see, Paul, you are deeply moved and affected and you care how much. I couldn't care less what he does with his money or Twitter. And makes no difference to me and there'll be another Twitter in five or ten years time or whatever and it'll just roll on. He's a bit of a character though, isn't he? He's always doing something mad. Yeah, well, you can, you can fair play to him. It's partly his ego and partly his business acumen but, you know, let him off. We have had a comment, by the way, regarding uh, wind farms that the base will last only 25 years before it has to be replaced. And then you've got other components that have to be recycled. And while they're presented as a green solution, they're not really. Is that fully accurate? Well, in fairness, the concrete lasts more than 25 years, so it depends on where it is. So you'd probably put another windmill on top of it. But that's beside the point. You know, there's no point in, in not being fair about it. Concrete should last more than 25 years. You should be able to put another one on top of it. But there's many more components that I'd have a problem with. Let's move on. We've had a story this week, an old video surfaced. I'm not sure if you saw this one, Bernie. Um, And I am singling you out for a reason, by the way, because the reporter had spoken with various ladies in the 1960s and asked what they were looking for in a man. And given the resurgence of the Westmeath Bachelor Festival this weekend, it's rather timely that we should uh, remind how times have changed. For instance, in 1967, attraction to a man wasn't necessarily about his looks, his physical build. In fact, one lady said she found big muscles to be revolting and disgusting. She was far more interested in a man of stronger character. How do you think times have changed, Bernie? Um, it's funny, I knew you were going to ask me about this one. Um, 
do you know, I, I don't, have they changed really radically? Are, are we not still looking for um, personality? We, we might call it something, the language might have changed a wee bit, but um, I think women are still looking for good personality and, and um, a strong character, I suppose, would, would intimate to me that, I don't know, strong-willed or something like that. I don't, that wouldn't be particularly my, um, uh, what I'd be looking for. You'd be looking for someone who's, um, who's got your back, who's with you at a level of partnership and who, who understands you and who gets you. And um, I, I don't know if things have changed that awful much. I know... Um, well, for instance, on the visual, OK, <laughs> the women who were interviewed were not attracted to muscles. Now, if you open up Instagram, yeah. I'm sorry, it's a meat fest. <laughs> It is. I know it is, but that's not everyone's taste either. And, you know, I suppose that's why some of the social medias that, uh, you know, you have to take them with a pinch of salt. And I suppose they're, they're a lot to blame for a lot of the, the you know, the, the physical look that we that we all are aiming for. And a lot of that is airbrushed and it's not real. And we all have to keep check our, on ourselves and be real about that and um, accept the way we are. And keep fit by all means because we'd be advocates of that from the lark point of view and keeping keeping as active as he can helps for all sorts of things but um yeah i don't i don't know um derek i'm gonna get your take on this not as to what is desirable but what you personally aspire to you know don't lie you've probably wished for the six pack for the biceps or am i wrong uh, what's to say that i don't have them already <laughs> Yeah, we're on radio, Will, so we can't see him. Yeah, well, OK. <laughs> you, you can tell us that you've got muscles in places most people don't even have places, but be honest. I've, I've, I've given up, to be honest, Will. I've given up trying to wonder what, um, since I got married, what a woman wants. Um, basically, I'm, I'm uh, uh, just sort of going along with day to day. But uh, no, no, it's, it's, to be honest, it's, it's, it's interesting to see, like, you know, the 60s, that somebody actually done this. And and got away. It was very sort of I won't say mis misogynistic. It's it's very kind of um, you know like would they ask the ladies today like of of what they 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 like or what they require? It's 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 kind of one of those antiquated um uh, polls that was put together like you know basically as to what a, a wife should do for a husband and all this stuff like you know I I found it um um strange but uh, interesting very interesting a relic of its time five, so basically uh <laughs> i've never reached the, the 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 merit i seemingly have a good personality but uh <laughs> that's the uh that's that's as far as i go <laughs> yeah height wise um, by the way the feedback from one lady a man should be between five foot ten and six foot now keep in mind in the 1960s that would have been a very tall individual Maybe not so much today, but like we are getting taller. We're we've better nutrition. So again, tastes change, and we won't even ask what the fellas are looking for now, as opposed to in the nineteen sixties. Or do you wish to volunteer that, Paul? No, no, didn't think so. No. Didn't think so. Wise man, he knows the sound of a shovel coming at him when he hears it. <laughs> On our Friday panel, Paul O'Brennan, organizer of the National Alpaca Show, which is happening in the Mullingar Showgrounds this Sunday. Opens to the public at 10 o'clock um, until about 5 o'clock. The breeders have been there from about half eight. Okay. Presume checks in the post for the plugs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Derek Martin is here from the Martin Engineering Consultancy Services based in County Offaly. And Bernie McHugh runs Lark, the cancer support sanctuary in Multifarnham. 
Midlands103.com this week reporting how a man who mislaid his wallet full of cash and bank cards after a gig had his belongings returned to him seven years after they went missing. So, evidence, there are good people in the world and we should keep optimistic about it. Uh, On the other hand, the war in Ukraine continues to surge and albeit Russia concentrating more so on the east of the country now. You've travelled quite a bit, Paul. What's your take on Mr Putin, his agenda, whether there's a clear bad guy, good guy dynamic? I, I, I don't see him as a good guy. He believes that he's going to rebuild the Soviet Union, which is impossible. He also believes that he was go- he was going to wipe out Ukraine. I know Ukraine very, very well. I've travelled there many, many times and, and I've got employees that work for me for the last 18 years from there. So I know it well. It's a massive country and he has no hope of taking it over, but he has the possibility of really damaging it. But I, I'm delighted that, especially this country in Poland, opened its borders no more than when you opened up, Bertie Hearn opened and said, visas come here. That was the right thing to do. It boosted our economy. And this will boost our economy, no matter what we're spending on it. We're welcoming people in. Our population will grow. Half of them won't go back, or a number of them won't go back. And we need the workers here. But apart from that, we really, really need to find a political or a a different solution than war. And we have to persuade Putin that... It's not the right thing to do. But follow the money. That's how it started. That's how it's going to end. Follow the money. Can I get your take, Derek? I know you're based in Geishel and earlier we were talking about the mobile homes that will soon be occupied by families from Ukraine. A great local effort to make that happen. Um, But we are looking at an accommodation crisis more broadly and uh, the government this week looking at some emergency options around sports halls and so on. Uh, any thoughts on how we deal with that in the short term, but also try and accommodate the people who are suffering here in Ireland because of the pre-existing housing crisis? There's an easy one for you on a Friday morning. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, the, the, to be honest, like, I, I agree with Paul. Like, it, it is fantastic, and it is great that we've actually brought in these people. Like, you know, um, it is um, a matter of you know you can't turn your head away. You have to. You have to uh, provide um, uh, accommodation and support. But the only question that came up when I was reading or hearing about in the news there last week um, about all this um, vacant social homes and, and refugees um, and the, these accommodation facilities and everything else, there was a huge homeless crisis about four years ago in Ireland, whereas a number of homeless persons passed away on the streets of Dublin um, and some of the cities. And local um, people and um, artists and everything rallied together to raise funds and open up centres and everything else, whereas the, the government were left without answers or without response. And when the eyes of Europe are upon us, um, we seem to respond uh, with with the response for for, and don't get me wrong. Now I'm not trying to 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 undermine what they're doing. It's fantastic, but I was just wondering why weren't these solutions put together four or five years ago for the homeless? Um, try to provide some form of of support, networking, and getting them back up on their feet. 
and those accommodation facilities would have been still open for the refugees of, of the Ukraine or refugees from other countries or whatever but you know did, did sustain I, I'm just Derek I'm, I know you're choosing your words carefully let me assure you you are far from the first person on this program to raise that question many listeners have noted the contrast in urgency as well at government level but yeah uh, it, it seems to be it, it seems to be everything with carbon tax you know we've an issue with energy let's stick a, um, a carbon tax on it I'm sure we'll go further we'll we'll, we'll stop turf altogether um, we'll you know, the, the, the Ukraine uh, issue, let's open up all the borders. Absolutely, you know, stand behind them 100% on that. But the second thing is, we didn't have an answer for our own homeless, but now we have 100 answers for the 20 or 30,000 people that are going to come in. Derek, not to cut you off in your tracks. An not to I'm cut sorry? you off in your tracks, but we've run out of time, I'm afraid. And I do Derek. want to give Bernie one last opportunity because... Uh, Lark provides a great service to cancer patients, not just in Westmeath, but right around the Midlands. And a quick word on what you do and how you may be reached, Bernie. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Will. Um, yeah, we're, we're delighted to be back working in person after various lockdowns since the beginning of or since the middle of last year. So it's great to be back working in person again. We offer counselling and complementary therapies, Will, to cancer patients and their families, including um, children impacted by cancer. So we do it at a children's service, uh, play therapy service as well. So we can be found on Facebook. Our website is cancersupport.ie. And you can call us on 04493 Contactable all the time. Um, doors back, always open again, which is brilliant to be able to say. Excellent. Bernie, thank you. And Paul Thanks. and Derek as well, thank you for your time. Now, that's where we leave it today. Our caller of the week shall be revealed in just a moment. Final thanks to Colm Corcoran and his team at the Midlands Consultant Clinic on the Arden Road in Tullamore, CorcoranHearing.ie for supplying a fantastic two-night stay at the Shearwater Hotel and Spa in Ballinasloe. Caller of the week is... Deirdre Middleton in Clara in County Offaly. Congratulations to you.